0: To be able to hand that baton to them and say, "Hey, here, take this, run with this, and and help, you know, kind of bring them bring them along." Because that that's what was done for me. Um, one of my uh, mentors or example I have, um, Kenny Anderson. Um, that's essentially what he did for me. He was one of my instructors here at undergrad, and then later on, he's the one who gave me my first teaching job.
1: Hey, y'all. I'm Jen. I'm a daughter a sister, an auntie, a niece, a cousin, and a friend. And I love pineapples on pizza, spending all day in Disneyland, shopping for bargains on Amazon, and all things literacy. I'm a Jesus girl. I love people and I love hearing their stories. In fact, that's what I'm doing here, sharing stories with powerful lessons to encourage us, empower us to keep moving forward, and to remind us that God has our back. I can't wait for you to hear these stories. Why don't you go ahead and join us for a story worth living? Well-known longtime journalist, Dan Rather said this about educators. The dream begins with a teacher who believes in you, who tugs and pushes and leads you to the next plateau sometimes poking you with a sharp stick called truth. I like that depiction so much because it shines a ton of light on the initial and critical need to be authentically engaged with students. See, you can't believe in someone that you're not connected to or someone that you don't really care anything about. You don't just run into students and arbitrarily poke, prod, push, or lead them. You get to know them, who they are, where they come from, what makes them tick, what they know, what they don't know. You discover their giftedness and their areas of challenge. You believe in them and you demonstrate your belief by helping them see their own greatness. You walk with them and guide them in their discoveries. You facilitate safe environments where they can fail where they can succeed and where they can grow. You empower them, support their journeys, and push them out of the nest when it is time for them to spread their wings. You believe in them. That's definitely a work of heart. Dr. Martin Hodnett joins us on this Epic Educators episode. He's a friend of mine and a dynamic college professor who's making an impact in his own way. He and I have talked shop before, and I'm convinced that he does what he does because he sincerely enjoys it. Dr. Hodnett has been teaching in the Department of Psychological Sciences at the Oakwood University, a historically black university in Huntsville, Alabama for over 10 years, where he also currently serves as the department chair. I am privileged to know Dr. Hodnett and very much respect the work that he has done and the work that he's doing in and outside of the classroom. Please join me in welcoming and honoring this local superhero who is engaged in his craft, his tremendous work of heart every day.
0: My name is Martin Hodnett. I am uh... The chair of the department of psychological sciences at oakwood university i've been here teaching for the last uh ten and a half years and i've been chair for the last five and a half years um yeah if you ask me who i am i'd say i'm a a, a servant of the students their our community um and those who are looking to better their lives through education normally i am more of a introvert so um being in the classroom space is, is natural for me, but it is something that I am not necessarily rested by. So in order to rest and recharge, (laughs) I need to be off the stage, so to speak, and just be chilling or, you know, just doing different things at home, maybe either cooking, watching TV or, um, hanging with friends pre pandemic and that kind of thing. But, um, in the classroom, you know, it requires you to be on, even if you're not necessarily <laughs> uh, feeling well, or, you know, particularly in an outgoing mood, you got to turn it on uh, just so that your students can can get the best version of what of you so that they can get what they need from you.
1: What did you want to be when you grew up?
0: You know, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, as a child, you are always, you know, maybe intrigued by um, the service industry in terms of government service, policemen, environment, all that kind of stuff. But later on, I began as a kid, I was listening to on the radio, my parents would have a, a religious radio station playing and had a, a program called Focus on the Family and had a gentleman by the name of James Dobson, who was a, a you know, a clinical psychologist. And so that was my introduction to psychology. Um, and for me, you know, when I, was trying to determine what major I wanted to be in an undergraduate uh, education. I didn't really know. And so I thought, you know what? I want to do psychology. Um, I'd grown up um, in an environment where I saw people at my dad's job, uh, and I wonder, what's wrong with these people? Like, And trying to understand how the mind operated, why why they do the things that they do. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to be um, going to psychology. Because I at that time, I thought, Maybe I might be some kind of mental, mental Jedi, but you don't, you don't get any real tricks. <laughs> you can't make people do things. <laughs> um, and what I did find out that it did give me a framework to understand people, to understand why people do the things that they do. So um, growing up, I didn't necessarily envision myself going into education. It was more of going into psychology. Um, and, of course, psychologists are in education. So I wouldn't say that in being a psychologist, I am not. Um, I'm doing something that's different. It's This is part of the field, if you will. Um, but, yeah, I didn't necessarily envision being a teacher. Um, my mom is a t- had been a, a, as a teacher, um, taught for many years uh, in elementary ed. And uh, I saw the work that she put in. After hours. <laughs> Sunday. I remember going with her um, to the school that she worked at, you know, a public elementary school. And we'd be there sometimes on Sunday afternoons before the school year began, putting up bulletin boards, arranging the classroom, doing all the all the behind the scenes work. So, you know, when I was thinking about what I want to do, it wasn't necessarily education because I knew (laughs) that came with a lot of work after hours, not necessarily when you're in front of the class, Um, grading papers, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is, um, I can't say that it was it's really anything that grabbed me or engaged me. Because, I mean, granted, my mom was an elementary school teacher. You know, I, remember, I remember she taught everything from, I mean, I think kindergarten up to maybe fourth grade at various points in her career. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that didn't necessarily grab me. I love kids, don't get me wrong, but that space wasn't one that necessarily drew me uh to it um, but you know it's the irony is and i was thinking about this this morning is that uh, my my dad was a pastor my mom was a uh, elementary school teacher and um my my siblings and i my two brothers we we're in either one of those fields <laughs> um, my older brother is a, a pastor and my younger brother and i we are um you know professors here uh, at, at Oakwood University so um it may not necessarily be in the exact same an educational level, but um, there is that element, and all of us at one point have taught. You know, the funny thing is, um, I don't really think that I really strongly considered education as a career option. Um, up until um, I graduated from graduate school, got my doctorate, and then I was looking to get into the workforce. So You know, a part of at least the model that I'd seen um, is, you know, many of my mentors had been um, in education, as well as seeing clients, as well as consulting. So was many hats that they wore. So I said, you know, I'm just going to get into this first one and then go from there. But the thing was, once I actually started teaching and got over that first year, (laughs) I actually loved it. I actually in, really enjoyed being in the in the educational space with the students and helping them to discover things for the first time. I mean, yeah, I, I think um, it's something that I don't know that I, I necessarily planned, but sometimes, you know, some people will call it serendipity. Some people will call it, you know, divine providence. I'm, I'm more with the latter. Um, and, and for one reason is I remember it's been about 20 years now, but. Um, I remember when I graduated from undergraduate, and um, the way things usually work at my school is, uh, since graduation is in the evening on a Saturday evening, you have like a, a Saturday afternoon uh, meal, graduation meal, and so we did that uh, with all the people who were from my state. So we're all out of state people, so we got together and had a meal. And I remember at some point in this in this in this uh, dinner that where they're honoring us. They had um, each of the graduates stand up and say, you know, what they were graduating, what degrees they're graduating with, and and also, um, you know, what what they plan to do. So I was kind of nervous because, you know, I'm not really one who just you know necessarily seeks to be upfront, like ooh ooh, ooh pick me, pick me. That's not that's not my thing, per se. Uh, so I get up there and I start talking and I tell them, you know, what my concentration and what my degree was in, and then. I just started saying stuff. And one of the things that I said was, yeah, and I may even um, begin teaching. um, And I mentioned at the time, uh, my mentor and uh, teacher, uh, Dr. Belvia Matthews, who had been my um, instructor in college. And so after I sat down, I'm thinking, what in the world did I just say? I'm going to be a teacher? I'm going to teach as well? Like, what in the world? So I just kind of brushed it off. I went and did my my time at you know uh, in graduate school. Um, I got my master's, got my doctorate, and then all these years later, that prophecy, if you will, came into fruition. And and I've since I've been in the, the work world officially, um, I haven't left education. So, you know, sometimes um, I would say that you you don't always know what God's plan is for you. You know, um, you may. Um, plan your way, but God determines your steps. And so um, I, I, I believe that God has me here for this purpose, for this time. Um, and it, it's a challenging one, um, but I believe that God has me specifically here. And I look around and look at what I'm doing. Um, you know, I know <laughs> that it is a part of the divine plan because um, as chair, when I first came, I was the youngest <laughs> on faculty here. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at all the people um, in my department who are ahead of me in terms of seniority and thinking, well, you know, maybe someday I'll be chair. And when the dust settles, it's it's literally like a moment in the Bible where uh, King David is selected. He's the youngest of all his brothers, but he's selected to be king. So it's out of order. It's out of sequence. And that's essentially what happened is that when it came time for them to. Selected chair, they selected me, even though I have the least amount of seniority. <laughs> so when you look at stuff like that, you say that has to be a God thing because that's not, that's, not that's not how it works. <laughs> but um, God has a way of, of putting things in order to fit His purposes and His plans.
1: What was that first year like?
0: So let me, just, let me just start off by saying this is that one of the things I find in higher ed is that a lot of times those who are teaching have been taught in the content area. And so they are content experts, but they're not necessarily trained to be instructors or they haven't been trained in pedagogy. So because of that, you are learning two things. (laughs) You're learning how to communicate, of course, but then you're also learning how to teach. And so while you may know the content, you're also learning how then can I communicate this content in a way that is understandable, engaging, and now more and more it really needs to be interactive if you're going to maintain the, the um, attention of your students. So that first year um, I remember many late nights, early mornings. And so much of what I had to do was to develop all my materials that I was going to present. So remember talking to a friend of mine, he's in a different field, and he said, all you have to do is stay one, one day ahead. And so that literally is what I did, because as a um, in higher ed, you know, the, at least the courses where I'm teaching, you don't teach every day. So it's every Monday and Wednesday and Friday or something like that. So that's that's what I was basically doing is preparing the lesson one day ahead. Now, granted, the next year was much easier because I actually had the materials to fall back on. And I had the the information that I needed. But that first year was really developing all the materials, some of which I still use. Um, You know, I remember that first year was difficult in part because you're learning how to go about things that later on it becomes much easier because you know what you're doing. But I remember that first year um, I was teaching something that (laughs) I had taken in in graduate school, but I really wasn't uh, all that uh, confident in was st- statistics. And so I'm teaching something very technical, <laughs> um, which most people run away from. Like if you say, you know, can you teach statistics? Most people, even if they have a graduate degree, they're like, uh, no, I'll teach whatever else their um, their element or their area is, but not statistics. And so that first year, I remember um, the, the textbook that we used um, and when I came in, the textbook had already been selected. Unfortunately, I had a colleague who was also teaching another section of statistics, so she assisted me. But she really wasn't one who used a lot of PowerPoint, and and that really is more my style. And so I literally had to figure out what worked, which which was writing on the on the board was not working for me initially. So I had to go and create all the PowerPoint slides from scratch. Now, based on the publisher we, we use now, you know, they give you all that stuff. So it's not a problem. But that first year was a lot of me trying to figure out how can I best do it for me and for the students? Because the way I communicate um, is, is such that I need to be able to really have a, a handle on how to articulate it verbally. But then with statistics, there's also things like computation where you're writing on the board. And so I needed to kind of figure out that because initially I wasn't one who could walk and chew gum. You know, I'd be able to write and speak and articulate and explain something that, yeah, it was, it was, so it was, it was difficult. But now 10 years on, I have all the materials I need um, and I've been able to, you know, you know, help many, many students over the years. I mean, it's crazy because looking back, um, I think about where I was when I first began and I look at where I am now. And I think it's like that for most jobs. But one of the things is when you're working, you always wanting to, as an educator, you always want to make sure that your best is coming forward because, you know, people are depending on your best in order to get where they need to go. And, you know, I've had students, you know, contact me in later, you know, later after taking the class, maybe when they're graduate school, and they would thank me for what I did in terms of teaching them stats, because they were set at the next level in graduate school, that really formed the foundation for them getting to where they needed to go and do what they needed to do. So to me, I'm always concerned that I'm giving my best because I know that somewhere someone is going to need what I have to offer. And in some some cases, they don't even know that they're going to need it. I've had one student, (laughs) I'll never forget, uh, one of the most memorable um, moments I can remember had a student challenge me in uh, statistics, one year, and he was one, he was actually a student in my department because a lot of a lot of my students in stats are not psychology majors, and so he was like, "Man, why do we even need to know this?" And he said it all loud, and so I had to try to stop, pause, collect myself, and give a articulate answer that wasn't just based on my emotions, but that would speak to not just him but everyone who was listening. And who probably was thinking the same thing. Because the problem is sometimes you're being taught things that you don't yet know that you are gonna need. And so you don't necessarily value it because you haven't recognized your need for it yet. But I, I feel like you know that is a that is a, a good way that to see how God often sets us up because he gives us what we're gonna need before we're in the situation, so that when we get in the situation, we're prepared. But if you asked us, do we need this difficulty, hardship, challenge, think this thing that is shaping me, that is um, honing me, honing my skills, honing how you know, we look at different things, how we approach different things. If you would ask us in the moment, you say, man, no, I don't need this. But the, the issue is we don't know what we're going to need in the future. And so, you know, the, the funny thing is this particular student who asked me that, I think he's now in banking. So he didn't even go into psychology. He went into banking. And I'm sure he's using some of the mathematical principles I taught him, even if he didn't yet know <laughs> that he was going to need to use them. Um, and so that's that's part of it is is trying to sell the the, the purpose for what you're teaching the information and getting investment in engagement and um, getting the students on board. Uh, and then also then being able to then articulate what it is that you have to offer.
1: Yeah, that is so True. That is so true, and even at the K twelve level, it is because when there's no uh, environment for relevance, I would say of the content. Um, and even though we're not able to, and I and I have this conversation with a couple of my middle schoolers, um, the ones that I teach one on one. You know, sometimes I have to, even if I can't explain like exactly where you're going to use the skill. I try to create a context so that they understand the relevance of learning this at this stage. You know what I mean? So that's, that's really powerful for, and I can imagine at the college age um, at the college level rather, and I'm thinking back on undergrad and all those classes, you know, those general ed requirements and stuff, you know, content that I don't see. But when you think about it, it has broadened my knowledge base. So even if it's something that I'm not using on a daily basis, I know about it. So if I'm watching Jeopardy or I'm having a conversation with someone and I'm able to look back, you know, reach back and and pull that, yes, yes, that knowledge base, that exposure to information, you know, is powerful. So thank you for sharing that. You know, so you talked about the fact you, you talked about how you know God prepares us and how you know these um, sometimes these these circumstances are a little challenging. Do you feel like you were prepared for pandemic teaching? Um, were you prepared for the pivot that needed to be made? <laughs> you know, and that I'm that you're that you're currently in. How has that been? Um, how did you adjust to that? What what was that like, you know?
0: I think in most cases, we are already prepared for whatever we're going to face. I believe in a all-knowing and compassionate God who, like any good teacher, is not going to put us in a situation that he hasn't prepared us for. He's not going to test us over something that he hasn't already taught us. And so, yes, this pandemic has been very challenging, but I believe much of what we have done in the, in the past has on some level prepared us. And that's not to say we we're fully prepared, but at least that we had some, some things to build on. Um, you know, in my space, we had to make a switch. We were told what was going to happen. The following week, the students left. And then um, I think we had like a week after that when there was no instruction going on, at which point we're supposed to be transitioning to 100% online. And then after that, it was basically, I don't want to say limp toward the front finish line, but definitely do everything that you got to do to make sure that you get to where you and your class needs to be. And it was difficult, not only for us as instructors, but it was difficult for the students. And so you're trying to educate students who... Their, their whole paradigm has shifted. And I think that, you know, obviously that's the case for both sides. But, um, you know, now you're dealing with students who when you're trying to do, you know, hold live classes via Zoom, you know, they have siblings in the background or some of them have had to go back home. And, and so now there are all kinds of dynamics which normally wouldn't be as primary and as distracting, but now they're back in the thick of it in that particular environment, and so now school is another reality, and you're trying to draw them back in, and keep them on track with where you had previously been going, uh, to to finish the course. And so that's why I I, I kind of phrase my my uh, my verbiage that way, just because it was it was difficult um, last semester, or I'm sorry, in the spring semester of um, of 2020, just because um, so many things shifted, and and even the uncertainty. And so um, trying to even speak with our students and try to understand where they're coming from and also empathize with their uncertainty, a, a bit of depression even, um, and, and, and kind of see where they are emotionally because, you know, you can, as an instructor, ignore where the student is, uh, but that's to the, their detriment as well as yours because you're trying to force something that they're just not able to re- fully receive because of where they are at the moment um, stressful would be one word. Um, and I think any, any change that is, you know, comes like we had and where we had to do a, as you put it, a, such a fundamental pivot, like completely different. Um, you know, I remember trying to shift. I keep going back to statistics because that's not the only class I teach, but that's one of the ones that I teach every semester since I've been here. Um, you know, I've, I had progressed to the point where I was not only using PowerPoint slides, but also I would go to the whiteboard and then work out problems and explain as I'm going. So now I got to figure out how to do that online. <laughs> and so, you know, getting uh, figuring out the details of trying to the nuances and the, and the technical aspects. You know, I'd used Zoom before, even before the pandemic, but now it's different when you're now trying to use Zoom to, to instruct on a daily basis, because I'd used it previously in years past um, if I was going to be out of town or something. But now, you know, the technical aspects. And so um, I, I just think that if nothing else, this has really helped us to to, to realize and recognize and, and hopefully um, really focus on our resilience as, as individuals. And I know that least for me, I don't necessarily see my resilience as something that is internal and by myself. I see it as something that is, works when I plug in. So if I'm plugged in, then God gives me what I need to be able to overcome or to respond to whatever challenge is coming. And that was even a struggle because, you know, when you are, have your whole world shifted, you know, you're, you're sheltered in place. You're not going home. You're isolated. Even being able to, as I mentioned before, be on in front of the camera for your Zoom class or classes, it can be a challenge because you are now having to manage your own wellness, mental wholeness, emotional wellness, as well as then try to do your job. And then as well as then try to look out for and help and shepherd and benefit your students who themselves are going through challenges. So I I think back to, you know, after that semester ended, and then we had a series of, um, of trainings on, on, on um, learning management systems. We'd always had one since I've been here, but now it was like, you, you, you got to use this thing fully, like all of the elements, like, because previously people would use different parts of what's, you know, what they wanted to. Um, and for those who don't know, Learning Management System is just a basic online portal where the work is delivered. So where students um, upload assignments, where they get the assignments, um, how they basically connect uh, with with, with um, the work that you have to assign. Um, but I, I think going back, you know, I when I even look at uh, the fall semester of twenty twenty, when we said, okay, we're going to come back and we're going to be in person. Uh, the challenge with that is trying to do hybrid or blended learning, where you're in the classroom with a handful of students, and then everybody else is online. <laughs> and we had some, you know, technical issues. But you know, the thing I like about teaching is that when you are working with this with the class, specifically when particularly when you've been working with them a while, they become like an extension of the, of your family. Such that even when things aren't going well, you have this. Um, wiggle room a personal, like they give you leeway, or at least you demand it, however you want to put it. Um, and it's much different from than if you're doing public speaking for the first time and the only time in front of an audience that you don't know. Um, and so, yeah, there were times when things didn't work. I mean, I remember one time the power went out. So obviously, if the power goes out where you're trying to teach via Zoom, <laughs> there is no Zoom. <laughs> so I remember that time trying to, you know, literally do some fancy footwork, get my phone out get on Zoom, tell the, the the class who was online what was going on. And then the class that was in person, you were like, you know what? You guys are dismissed. And so, you know, um, for me, a lot of this has been trying to be flexible, to, to kind of meet the demand as it is and just know, as a human, there's only so much you can do. Pray about the rest. Do the best you can do and and give give yourself and your colleagues and your students the, the flexibility to be able to do the best that they can do and give them encouragement because this, this hasn't been easy on anyone. Um, but I do think um, as we are um, getting more used to this, this new normal, I, I think we're in some ways adjusting, but initially the adjustment was not easy for myself or our students. I think when you look back um, on your your time. Sometimes you can be tempted to wonder, you know, how much of a difference have I really made? Um, And I, and I say that because unlike um, elementary ed, you are the, you are one of several teachers. So with elementary ed, you know, it's, you know, if a, if a student is making certain jumps and leaps and growth, it's easier to attribute it to the, the um, instruction of that particular teacher. But if you're one of many, it's kind of, you're trying to figure out, well, like, how much difference did the, the portion and the, the contribution that I made actually make to this person? And, you know, over the years, um, some of my more thoughtful students have sent things to me, uh, either, you know, graduation notices or different things, uh, thank you letters, different things over the years to kind of let me know where they are. But the thing that I think that I find most gratifying is when I'm able to connect with students who I've worked with over the years and I see them where they are now. Uh, About two weeks ago, I had the chance to speak with one of my former students and she was one of the first, she was in a class that was one of the first classes that I saw come in as a freshman and then go all the way through graduate. Now she is in her last semester of her PhD program. And so she is now um, doing her post, her pre-doctoral internship, which in the PhD program, that's you have to do a full year of full-time work. And so she and I were able to connect and she was telling me um, what that experience being at Andrews university was like um, and how that actually went. Um, And then some of the things that she learned. And it's funny because in speaking with her, she basically told me something that first I had to step back and say, what do you you mean by that? She, She said that I was a unicorn. And I had to ask her, like, "What do you mean I'm a unicorn?" And she basically said that as a African American male in clinical psychology, that I'm very unusual because, and I know she's right because even in my own um, experience with graduate school, there's not that many of us. Um, and so it's interesting because as you interact with your students later, you, I think they, some of them begin to get things that they didn't necessarily perceive prior when, when they're they a student. Um, I look at the things that motivate me, the things that encourage me, the things that um, are some that the teaching experience gratifying is to be able to look back at our students and see where they are now. I, I can you know, think of several students who've come through, well, I've known them all the way through, they're done with their doctorates now and they're, and they're working. Or some who've gotten their master's and they're now, you know, seeing clients in counseling. Um, and so to be able to see that and know that you are at least played a part in their development and their maturation um is something that's that's very, very um gratifying. Um and, and for me, you know, I look at education, at least higher education, as a factory of sorts. And our product is the student. So If they do well, that at least means that at some point along the way we contributed that. Because I I I will never you know discount the influence that the parents have had and other people up to that point. But you know going forward, the fact that they can be successful in you know um, their training and in their jobs and in the work world and their careers, I, I believe speaks to a part that we contributed to. The thing I like the most about teaching is helping someone. Who was previously intimidated by a subject, master it. I, I love that that shift from particularly in subjects that they perceive as being more difficult and, and not being sure that they can handle it or that they can be successful, and helping them to break it down, helping them through that process as they struggle, as they you know um, you know are successful. As they, you know, have challenges, but through that process, and then be able to see in their eye the realization that hey, I can do this, that that I can overcome this particular obstacle and be successful and and move forward. Um, to me, that that is one of the most uh, gratifying things um, that I, I that I really have found in in teaching, and um, I think the other thing is that I've. I found gratifying and I was thinking about this as you're speaking um, a second ago. The other thing that I find gratifying is being able to hire my former students. This last year, I was able to hire two of my former students who both have their doctors now. And um, even though they're not in state, they're working remotely and we're teaching some of the classes online. But I, I love that where I can now hand the baton I'm hoping that the fire will catch and that they'll want to teach. Um, But that, you know, primarily they're they're clinicians, but to be able to hand that baton to them and say, Hey, here, take this, run with this and, and help, you know, kind of bring them, bring them along. Cause that that's what was done for me. Um, One of my uh, mentors or example I have um, Kenny Anderson. um, That's essentially what he did for me. He was one of my instructors here at undergrad and then, Later on, he's the one who gave me my first teaching job at Calhoun Community College in Decatur, Alabama. So um, I find that to be one of the most gratifying things to be able to do. I wanted to start off by just talking about the things I like the, the most. <laughs> um, you know, a spoonful of sugar helps some medicine go down. Um, you know, reports. I think that, you know, and, and the higher you, you go in, in education, the more reports that you have. Um, and you know, everybody likes to to be on the stage, or or maybe even like in, to use a a sports analogy, play in the game. But nobody wants to do the drills and all the and all the other stuff behind the scenes that being able to perform on the field actually requires. And for me. Um, that's, you know, paperwork or, you know, reports or, you know, um, a lot of the nuts and bolts, you know, a lot of people think that teaching is just knowing some information and getting up and and, and communicating it. But I've, I'm learning and have learned that it's, you know, student learning outcomes and assessments and, um, you know, you know, all the, this whole thing of, of reporting. And yeah, so for me, that's not one of my favorite things, but I, I do think that at least the thing that may, has made this experience sweeter is the interaction with the students, being able to talk to them and, and engage with them and being able to um, you know, just kind of hear the things that they're talking about. That has been the thing that's kind of helped me, you know, look past the things that I didn't like as much.
1: What encouragement um, would you give to someone who's thinking about getting into teaching?
0: One of the things that I'm learning, um, and I learned this from one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Pamela Cook, um, who was here before me, and she's still here now, um, is that you have to love your students. You, you have to love them. <laughs> and and that love is is what then spurs you on to spend the late nights or to, um, preparing for, for class or to stay up late grading papers or to do all the things that... Um, teacher requires it's that that you love your students and you want to see them not just collectively but even individually uh, be successful um, and so I for someone who's interested in education um, I would say um, you know pay attention even if as you're preparing for that you know how your own teachers do things you know a lot of times we you can go past and just kind of gloss over how people are doing things but if you sit and, and really observe, Not just what they're telling you, but how they're telling you, how they're structuring things, how they're formulating things, seeing what you like, what you don't like. Um, And then, you know, kind of putting together in your mind your own mental framework of how you would do it if given the opportunity, you know. Um, and, And I would say even as you're even if you find people that you don't necessarily like their style or how they're doing it or what they're doing, figure out. Try to see why they are like that, because sometimes <laughs> I'm laughing because sometimes um, people are facing things that you don't recognize or know. And so you only see the outcome, but you don't see the input that made that happen. Um, I was recently, about last week, I was speaking with one of my um, graduate professors. Actually, he was one of the, on my dissertation committee. And we were able to talk at a different level because I'm in the space he, he was when I was going through. And so you see things differently at a different level. Um, And so as you're at different levels, I would say, you know, to pay attention to the details, pay attention to, do you like, you know, engaging with students? And and do you have the personal drive um, to not only do what what is necessary inside the classroom, but depending on your institution, there's other things behind the scenes, including committee assignments, including research, including, um, at least at my institution, um, community um, engagement or community service so really kind of seeing on on all fronts is this something that you could be happy doing um, as a career
1: where do you find your strength
0: you know that's, that is a great question um, it's my spiritual connection and and I say that in two ways. One of them being very specific, meaning my relationship with God, trying to hear Him, trying to make time in the morning in devotion and reading uh, His Word, trying to see what He's saying to me, um, and in being empowered by that 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 time alone with Him. But then also, um, my my that's also the other area I find is that He uses people to pour into me to encourage me. Um, and of course, I'm trying to do the same thing, but. Uh, with them, but being um, in, in a community of educators also helps. So people that you can you can talk with about who knows what you're dealing with. Um, since I, I work at a faith-based um, based, uh, institution, um, my colleagues, other chairs, we get together on Tuesdays, a few of us, and we pray. We talk about the things that we're facing, the challenges that we're facing, and we pray about them. Uh, and so for me, being able to have people who understand what I'm going through and can relate and then are, who are also praying with them for me and I them uh, is one of the things that gives me strength. Being able to um, have people who know and love me outside of the, this, the workspace is, is important. And of course, obviously, due to the pandemic, that's, that kind of changes how you're able to connect with them. Uh, and then, of course, as I mentioned initially, being able to be connected uh, with God and being able to listen to what he has to say is is very, has been very key to me. And I, I say that not as one who has achieved. I say that one who is continuing to try to maintain the connection because I, you know, throughout the, the pandemic, I have to be very honest, there were times where I didn't feel as connected. And, and that comes out in various ways, um, in that, you know, you're not able to to be at your best. You know, if you want to be at your best, there's certain things you got to do. You know, you got to sleep, got to eat healthy food, you got to exercise, you know, um, you know, practice gratitude and and several other things to be at your best. And for me, one of those things is my relationship with God. Um, And I, I say that also is that because One of the things I recognize and God has shown me through teaching, that's the other thing. He's shown me many things (laughs) through teaching. But one of the things is that my connection to him matters, not just for my own health, but because I'm a better person when I'm connected. Like my patience, I'm not normally a patient person. And that that becomes very critical when you're in the classroom and you're being tried by people who are trying your patience. And so you're trying to act in a professional manner and act as a Christian, and these people are getting your nerves. (laughs) So if I have not really spent time getting connected and and God giving me what I need for the day, when I get into those situations, we got problems because I'm going to let you know how I really feel instead of being able to dial it back and be able to speak from a place of patience, place of love, yeah. a place of love, and a place of being able to be composed and have, have that in control. So um, to me, it, 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 those are the things that give me strength um, and, and help me to be at my best in the classroom.
1: Hey. I'm so looking forward to sharing more stories with you, to connect with you, challenge you, and energize you Stories create environments where we can learn valuable insights from each other's experiences. They represent our collective pain, joy, fear, faith, best days, and worst days. They unite us, teach us, challenge us, delight us, and enable us to convey messages of hope in a complicated world. There's something to learn from someone else's story. They are countless lessons of faith, hope, and love. So why not take some time to consider your own story? Then join us again for another Story Worth Living.